welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast. My name is Morgan Dix, and I am thrilled to have you here. On this show, we interview teachers, scientists, authors, and longtime practitioners of the science and art of meditation. And this week, it is going to be just me on a solo show talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So there's a question that may have come up from time to time for you. I think it comes up for all of us who meditate. What's the point of meditation? And there are lots of different takes on this based on your religion, your mode of practice, your philosophy of life, etc. But for many of us, we meditate to feel better, to bring some much needed peace and stability that's missing into our lives basically to relieve stress, right? So to fill our hearts, minds, and beings with some sense of silence, stillness, and and deep peace. But how do we support our own practice and our motivation to practice? Because yes, of course, the most important thing, no matter what, is to show up on the cushion on a regular basis, ideally every day, to do our practice. That's number one. We want to really establish this bedrock habit that is, you know, kind of kicks in on its own and we just hit the cushion. But there's more to the picture than just hitting the cushion every day. What if I were to tell you that there's a way for you to turbocharge your meditation practice? Metaphorically speaking, to drink a cup of let's call it meditation coffee, because there are ways that you can do that. And there's one way in particular that I want to hone in on in this podcast. And it's not really a secret, to be honest, but I'm guessing that at least at the moment, you're probably not uh, taking advantage of it. And in fact, it's something that most mystical traditions have totally integrated into their teachings. Because the truth is, we're making choices all the time that affect the clarity and the quality of our consciousness. And that's really what I'm talking about. And in the end, for me, and I think for a lot of us, that's really one of the main purposes of meditation, to cleanse and clarify our awareness. And this point recently was really reinforced for me in a in a dramatic way. And I want to give you the short story of what happened. So a couple weekends ago, it's almost like a month ago now, I went on a weekend retreat with my men's group here in Boston. There was some meditation and yoga and some other activities, but fundamentally it was a spiritual retreat. And all the guys I went with are serious practitioners. They're long, most of them are very long long-time meditators. So I decided to do a cleanse for two weeks leading up to the weekend retreat. So for that time, when I was doing that cleanse, I gave up alcohol, caffeine, dairy, bread, sex, masturbation, and basically resolved to just keep my body as clean as possible and as vital as possible leading up to that retreat. And important disclosure, I don't think inherently any of those things are bad. 
I just, I know from previous experience and from my training that it can be very powerful to take a break from those things when you're going into a context like a meditation retreat. And as a lot of you know, I lived in a meditation ashram that's, for those of you who don't know what an ashram is, it's like the Hindu version of of a monastery. So I lived in an ashram for 14 years. And we did this kind of purification on a pretty regular basis. But it's, you know, it's been about four years since I lived in the ashram. And there is not even remotely the same kind of an external support system, nor the culture of support that I enjoyed in the ashram here in uh, life in Boston day, day to day. So I really, I just did this on my own steam. And it was it was powerful. I mean, I was really reminded, well, one, of course, how important it is, but really how powerful it is to do this on some kind of regular basis. And again, it wasn't new for me, but by the time we were driving away from Boston to the retreat, it was Friday afternoon, and I already felt that the retreat was well underway by the time we were like, getting our last little practical things taken care of, I I really felt like, I felt this incredibly deep, clean feeling. I felt like I was already in a meditative state. I don't mean physically clean. I mean like clean at the level of my my being, at the level of my my spirit, my soul. So, but what, what does that mean exactly? Because I don't, I don't think it was just the absence of those substances or activities in my body that made me feel so good. I think the more significant aspect of that cleanse had to do, fundamentally had to do with the choices I was making every day during those two weeks. In a word, the renunciation. So one of the central principles of spiritual practice, and a lot of you know this already, and when I talk about spiritual practice, I'm talking about meditation, for one thing. One of the central principles is renunciation. When, when we meditate, we renounce our mind. In one way or another, we're, we're renouncing engagement with the movement of our mind. That's the heart of meditation. Whatever your practice is, even if you're focusing on, on an object, even if you're just watching your thoughts and not engaging, fundamentally, it's a withdrawal. It's a withdrawal and a renunciation from engagement with your mind. And so, yeah, this word renunciation. And and another way of, in the context of this cleanse I'm talking about, another way of saying it is that you resist your desires, mostly your desires for pleasure and for comfort. And as you know, that's not that's just not very popular in our culture because we're surrounded by the idea that we should satisfy our desires. That's just ubiquitous. It's all around us. But the truth is renunciation makes you strong and it's easy to forget that. And so here's what I mean. So for those two weeks, that I gave up those things I mentioned, slowly but surely, they just stopped controlling me. They stopped having such a magnetic 
effect on my attention, which is to say that usually I spend a lot of time, often unconsciously, devoting energy, intention, and awareness to how I'm going to satisfy my desires. When am I going to get the next cup of coffee? When can I have a glass of wine or a beer? When can we have pizza or pasta for dinner? Yum, yum, I, I can't wait. You know, often I'll structure my week where I don't. I don't have anything to drink during the week, but I, you know, I have like pizza and a glass of wine on Friday night. Me, you know, we have like family pizza night on Friday. And sometimes I find I'm like looking, it's Tuesday, and I'm thinking about pizza night. I, I, I mean, again, nothing inherently wrong about that, but I don't totally like the fact that my consciousness, my awareness gets magnetized like that towards the future to a point of having that kind of satisfaction from the wine and the cheese. So I'm hoping you can relate. And I just think if you think about it, it's like a staggering amount of our background processors, pistons that drive our, our brain and our, our deeper motivations. I think that they're really deeply conditioned to think about these things. And when you give them up, even just if it's for a short time, all that energy and awareness gets liberated. It gets freed up in your normal, like carnal desires. They just, they aren't controlling you. And like I've said, there's, I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with satisfying these desires. And I, I do want to make that clear, but everyone I think should have the experience of giving them up for a while and seeing what happens. And of course, yes, you go through a period of withdrawal when you're, whatever you're doing, purify, you're, you're going on a cleanse or a fast or whatever it is, but that doesn't last. It's just, it just takes a little time and you experience discomfort. And then when you persevere, it feels incredible. Every time it feels incredible. And after this cleanse, I felt so strong and so clear after those two weeks. And my awareness, it was light and easy and buoyant and, and just like my moods. And so by the time I got to the retreat, I felt something significant had already occurred. I, I in a certain way, had already, I was already in the retreat. The, some element of the retreat had already happened. And so my meditation was smoother, simpler, deeper, more satisfying. There was less static in my field of awareness. And so after I did this, I was reflecting on it with my wife and I was raving to her about it. And she grew up in a Muslim household where they used to fast from sunup to sundown during Ramadan for a whole month. So there was no food no water and she told me they were even encouraged not to swallow like their saliva and so when I was telling her about this and she just had this big smile on her face and she just said of course and she said now we can fast together for the month of Ramadan so we, we are probably going to do that but the point I wanted to emphasize really is this that when we sit down on the meditation cushion, there are all sorts of things coalescing into that one moment when you 
start your ritual in the morning, um, for most of us it's the morning, or whenever it is during the day that you sit down on that cushion, you close your eyes or you, you keep your eyes open, but you fundamentally become still and you start your practice. In that moment, all of these things are coalescing into that moment and it's the momentum of all your choices and all your habits, all of it, and all of it matters. And when you take on, in this anecdote that I've been sharing, when you take on your core appetites for things like pleasure, whether it's food or sex or alcohol or whatever, when you take a break from all that, you just realize how much space it actually takes up and then how free you feel from it all. And meditation is all about space and it's all about freedom. Yeah, so I wanted to just put it out there. Why don't you give it a shot? Do you want to supercharge your meditation practice? Trust me, doing some variation of this, you will feel it and you'll know in your body, in your being, in your meditation, you'll know and experience for yourself in light of their absence that there are deeper currents, often invisible to us, that govern our awareness, but they don't need to. And, the, and of course, the flip side of that, I'm just, that's just speaking about it in the negative. They're the deeper currents, I would say, of spirit that get activated when we renounce like this. They're, they're parts of us that come alive that get strengthened, that become vibrant. We become vibrant at this very deep level when we just, for a while, we just renounce, we resist. Again, I'm not advocating some kind of renunciate lifestyle. I just don't think that's really a model of practice that works in our day and age. But I do think it's empowering to have experiences like this and to test it out and to, to see and know for yourself, I can do this, and then have that experience. It's incredibly empowering. And not just for a short amount of time. You can really have some life-changing insights from doing something like this. So I'm curious to hear about your experience. If you try it, let me know what happens, or, or if you've done this yourself, I'd love to hear your experience. Just maybe uh, leave it in the comments section of this post over at aboutmeditation.com. Before we end with the quote, I want to wrap up the show and let you know that the One Mind Meditation Podcast, it's part of the Podcastica Network. You can check that out over at podcastica.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, I encourage you to please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That is really the best way to help other meditators find our show. And then also, if you like the show, we have lots of courses on our website over at aboutmeditation.com. Uh, some of them I've created, some of them my associates at the website have created. If you like the show, I think you'll like the courses. Check them out. They're very reasonable and they're self-paced. You can take them at home. All of that is over at aboutmeditation.com. So finally, let's end with a quote. And this one is from, as usual, the Rigpa 
glimpse of the day. It's a Buddhist organization, and, and I, I love their quotes. They arrive every day in my inbox. If you're ever looking for a great quote of the week, just type in Rigpa glimpse of the day, and you, and you can get it. They're great Tibetan Buddhist quotes. So this is a beauty. And it goes like this. So many veils and illusions separate us from the stark knowledge that we are dying. When we finally know we are dying and all other sentient beings are dying with us, we start to have a burning, almost heartbreaking sense of the fragility and preciousness of each moment and each being. And from this can grow a deep, clear, limitless compassion for all beings. Sir Thomas More, I heard, wrote these words just before his beheading. Quote, we are all in the same cart going to execution. How can I hate anyone or wish anyone harm? End quote. To feel the full force of your mortality and to open your heart entirely to it is to allow to grow in you that all-encompassing fearless compassion that fuels the lives of those who wish truly to be of help to others.